This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. Good morning, church. It is wonderful to be together in the house of the Lord. Um, for those of you who are guests, I want to welcome you. My name is Ian. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church, and it is truly a joy to have the honor and privilege to do the preaching of God's Word this morning. Um, a, a, a one little quick note here. You may not notice this if you're online with us, but Pastor Jeff is not here with us this morning. We love Pastor Jeff. We're so grateful for his faithfulness and fruitfulness here with us as one of our pastors. Um, but we get to share him, and one of the ways that we get to share share him. For those of you who know this, he's the chaplain for the Philadelphia Phillies. We are a church that's in the city and that's for the city, and this is one of the ways that we can serve our city as Pastor Jeff is being shared to serve the players and their families as he ministers to them during the season. Um, the major league actually made a, a last-minute decision to actually allow chaplains to be on the premises during spring training, and so when that was decided a week or so ago, um, the Phillies actually contacted Jeff and asked him if he could come down and be with them here during spring training. So he'll be gone a couple Sundays in the month of March, this Sunday, and then again on March 21st. But we're grateful to share him. Um, he even said in text messages this morning as he was praying for us, he'd rather be here. But come on, for real. I mean, I know he loves us, but this is Florida we're talking about. Florida in March. I mean, I said to him, I saw a picture that he posted on the beach. I'm like, all right, come on. I know you say you want to be here with us, but it's okay to be there right now. It's amazing, right? So anyway, all that being said, we love him and we're thankful for him and we're grateful to share him and allow him to impact our city and the progress of the gospel in those really special and unique ways. Well, we're not going to be in the gospel of Luke this morning. I invite you to take your Bible and go to another one of the books that the Holy Spirit led Luke to write, and that's the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 2 this morning, and what we're going to do this morning is we're actually going to connect the dots a little more um, with our vision for 2021. Um, last month, Pastor Jeff preached a message from Matthew 28, 19, and 20 on the Great Commission, and his call to us as a church was to go deeper in joining Jesus in his mission to make disciples of the nations. And we were being called in that text by Jesus through the preaching of the word to go deeper in our commitment to, to make disciples and to mature as disciples and to multiply gospel movements around our city and world. And so this morning we want to go deeper in another subject, a subject that's very, very important and closely connected to the mission, to, to, to going deeper in mission with Jesus. And it's this, if we're going to go deeper in mission with Jesus, we first must go deeper with Jesus himself. And so this morning, we want to talk about going deeper in relationship with Jesus. And in particular, we want to go deeper as we grow in our awe and wonder of Jesus. And we have a portrait of a church here in the book of Acts that did exactly that. And so let me direct your attention now to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Let us hear the word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. 
And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me direct your attention back to verse 43 again. And all came upon every soul. That is God's word. May he add his blessing to its reading and preaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. I'm sure you know what it's like to be filled with awe and wonder. I'm talking about those moments in life where all we can do after experiencing something is step back and go, that was awesome. Uh, For me, I have kind of a catalog of dates in my working memory of times where I, I, I did exactly that. I stepped back and went, wow, that was awesome. One of those dates was October 20th, 1994. I was a senior in high school, and they were about to demolish a Northeast Philadelphia landmark at the intersection of Adams and the Boulevard. It was the Sears Clock Tower. The Sears Clock Tower stood there in Northeast Philadelphia as a a Northeast Philly landmark. And and anytime you drove by it, your attention was drawn to it because it it just stood there so big and so high, higher than any other building or property in the area. Well, they were demolishing it. As Sears was downsizing, they were demolishing it. And this was the demolition day. So my best friend Tim and I, we strapped on our rollerblades, yeah, we did that back then, strapped on our rollerblades and skated down to the blast zone, and we got down as close as we could. The caution tape was everywhere, 12 lanes of the boulevard, all blocked off for this amazing moment. And so we stood there, Tim and I were as close to the caution tape as possible, and then the countdown began. And then right before our eyes, in a matter of moments, nine million bricks disappeared before our very eyes. We could feel the earth move under our feet. That was awesome. Or May 19th, 2001, my wedding day. I can still picture it like it was yesterday, even though it's almost 20 years ago. We had set it up where Rachel and I weren't going to see each other before we started taking the photos. And so we set up a moment before the photography, before all the, all the hubbub of the day where I would have Rachel revealed to me in her wedding gown for the first time. And I stood there in the front of the church with my back to the doors, and then I heard the doors open. And I turned around, and there she was. I saw her for the first time in her wedding gown. You know what? That was awesome. Or April 2nd, 2003, September 17th, 2004, September 18th, 2006, the birthdays of our three children. I still remember holding each one of them in my hands for the very first time. You know what? That was awesome. Well, maybe here's a date you can identify with. December 20th, 2001, the premiere of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Fellowship of the Ring on the big screen. 
okay? Finally, what I read in the books was now going to be on the screen. And I still remember seeing for the first time Gandalf plant his staff on that bridge in the minds of Moria and say, you shall not pass. That was awesome. <laughs> or probably my favorite date. February 29th, 1992. A couple weeks before my 15th birthday, I've been attending a youth group in my neighborhood down in northeast Philly. I was just a kid from the neighborhood who started to, stumbled into a church on Friday nights at a youth group. And someone in the church sponsored me to go on a weekend retreat with the church that I couldn't have afforded myself. And I remember sitting there on that evening hearing the good news of Jesus preached once again. I've been hearing all year long, but, but nothing honestly was happening in here. But that night, something different took place. The Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of my heart and revealed to me that if I got what my sins deserved, I'd spend forever separated from God. And that Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose from the dead, was my only hope of forgiveness, deliverance, and acceptance with God. And that night, God saved me. That was awesome. I'm sure you have your list of awesome experience, but what we experience, but what we have here captured for us in Acts 2, 42 to 47 is the awesome, the ongoing awesome experience of the church of Jesus Christ. Here in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, we find a local church that was constantly filled with awe and wonder. We just read it in verse 43. All came upon every soul. And we are going to discover this morning that the reason why this church was in awe and wonder is because this church was constantly aware that Jesus was right there with them. That the crucified, resurrected, ascended Christ whose physical body was no longer on the earth, was still with them. And this amazed them. This church knew that Jesus was in their midst. His presence was tangible. His power was discernible. His grace was palpable. His nearness was detectable. And day by day, as they were more deeply aware of the presence of Christ, they became more deeply in awe of Christ. So that's our heart, Christ Church. We want to be a church that goes deeper in our awe and wonder of Christ. And the way we will go deeper in our awe and wonder of Christ is to live in the conscious awareness that Christ is right here with us. And that's the big idea we want to look at this morning from this text. We go deeper in our awe of Jesus as we go deeper in our pursuit of Jesus. You see, this is Jesus' vision, not only for the church in the pages of the book of Acts, but this is Jesus' vision for the church, period, until he returns. You see, the book of Acts is not simply a monument to admire, but a model to aspire. 
Jesus wants us to be a church that grows in our awe and wonder of him. He wants us to be more and more aware that he is with us to the end of the age. That when two or three gather in his name, he's right here in our midst. Christ is with us right now. And when we are more aware that he is with us, church, we will be more in all of him. My brothers and sisters, as we go deeper in our all of Jesus, it will be because we go deeper together in our pursuit of Jesus. So I want to ask three text questions of the text this morning that I think will help this reality unfold for us, that we will go deeper in our all of Jesus as we go deeper in our pursuit of Jesus. Here are the questions. Let me give you all three of them up front. First, what does it mean to be in all of Jesus? Second, how do we go deeper in our all of Jesus? And thirdly, what keeps us from going deeper in our all of Jesus? First, what does it mean to be in all of of Jesus. What does it mean when we read all came upon every soul? First the word soul. The word soul here is talking about the inside of a person. It's the immaterial part of you. It's the part of you you don't see but you sense. It's dealing with your emotions, your feelings, your perceptions. And so whatever this all is describing Luke tells us that it's something that everyone in the church felt or experienced at the deepest level of their being. That's soul. Then there's the word all itself. The word all comes from the Greek word phobia, or phobia, which is where we get our English word phobia. And you know what that word means? It means to be afraid. To be afraid of something, it's a word that describes a very deep emotional experience that affects the body and the mind. However, in Scripture, depending on the context, that phobia can be either a good thing or a bad thing. It can be a, a, a feeling of terror or a feeling of wonder. Uh, a good way to describe it is that the word, the word here for all ha has a spectrum. And on one end of the spectrum, it can mean, oh, no. On the other end of the spectrum, it can mean, oh, wow. And so this word all, it's sometimes translated all, sometimes tra translated fear, can mean, oh, no, or oh, wow. For example, in the Old Covenant, an oh no moment is, is Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 where he has this amazing preview of Jesus on his throne. And, and we read about that experience in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah says, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon his throne and his glory filled the temple. And above him stood seraphim, each with six wings. With two they covered their eyes and with two they covered their feet and with two they flew. And, and one cried out to another. You know the text. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And as Isaiah sees this picture of the glorified, holy, one-of-a-kind Jesus, what's his response? Oh, no. Woe is me. I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
as Isaiah considered his sinfulness and in, in connection with God's holiness, seeing the, pre, the, the glory of Jesus, being in the presence of Jesus, made him aware that this is not a place that I should be. And it wasn't until after God reminded him of the forgiveness that he offered to him and that his, his sins were removed that Isaiah, oh no moment, turned into an oh wow moment. Or it's the disciples in the Gospels. Uh, pick your Gospel. The, the disciples in a boat, and there's a storm. It happens a lot for them, doesn't it? I mean, if I were the disciples, I'd think twice about ever getting in a boat again. Okay. They go out on the boat. It's not always the same episode. They go out into a boat in a storm. Huh? What do you know? A storm arrives. And so they go out into the storm, and Jesus wakes up from his nap. And he says those words, peace, be still. And the storm ceases. And what did the disciples do? They have an oh wow moment. What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. That's all. All is what happens in the soul when we are amazed by the presence of God. Whether it's oh no or oh wow, or something in between. The, the common denominator when all happens is that it happens when a soul encounters the nearness of God. All is what happens when you experience the nearness of God. Those who are in all of God in Scripture are those who are aware that God is not out there somewhere. That God is not up there, the big guy in the sky. God is not just out there. God is right here, right now in our midst. So when we read in verse 43, and all came upon every soul, this means that everybody in the church could detect, they were aware that God was right there with them. That Jesus was in their midst. John Stott, in his commentary on the book of Acts, makes the following observation about where this all came from. He says, quote, God had visited their city. He was in their midst, and they knew it. They knew it. God was in their midst, and they could sense it. They could sense God, feel God, apprehend God. They were encountering, experiencing the nearness of God in their soul. That's all. All is not a concept. All is not a principle. All is not a proposition. All is an experience that happens when we encounter the presence of God. And so from this point in Acts 2, 43, onward throughout the book of Acts, this church continues to have multiple oh wow and all no moments. They continue to be aware. And as Luke writes this, this record of the early church's life together as they seek to do the mission that Jesus gave them, they continue to, to be amazed that God is right there in their midst. It was an oh wow moment when they would, on multiple occasions, see God add to the church thousands of new converts. There was also oh no moments like that time Ananias and Sapphira conspired together to lie to God and lie to the church. And they dropped dead 
And Acts 5, 5 says, and great fear came upon all who heard it. Same word there that we use for all. F.F. Bruce, New Testament scholar, notes, there was an enduring sense of all inspired by the consciousness that God was at work in their midst. He was there. He was on the move, expanding the gospel, building his church, transforming lives, turning cities upside down. God was there in their midst, and they were aware of it. One more detail worth noting in this phrase, and all came upon every soul, as we seek to understand what all means. It's, it's, it's that it came upon them. This means that it was a passive experience. What do I mean by that? In other words, they didn't choose to be in awe. They didn't decide to be in awe. They didn't conjure it up. They didn't work up their emotions. They, they didn't get the lighting and the smoke machine out and say, oh, God's here with us. It wasn't something they could make happen. It wasn't something they could manipulate. God makes all happen. All is God's gift. All is what God does in our souls when we are aware that he's with us. And so here's the good news. If God makes all happen, God wants us to be in all. Meaning God wants us to be aware of his presence. You see, this is, this is tricky for, for some of us. Because we come from different Christian church traditions for those who have been following Jesus for a while. On one end, there's those of us who grew up in more of the, more of the, the, the heady, high church culture, where, where Christianity is more about objectivity and right propositions and, and dotting our theological I's and crossing our theological T's, which we should. But anything that's hard to quantify objectively, we're scared of that. And on the other hand, there, there are those of us who grew up more in a and more in a in an experiential, maybe almost charismatic type of context in our Christian church experience. And, and everything is about the experience. Everything is about the feels. Everything is about if you don't leave having encountered God, then you ain't right with God, right? And we have these different extremes: those who downplay experience and those who totally jack up the significance of experience. And maybe because of that, whenever you hear experience language or, or feeling language or sensing God language, for one reason or the other, you're a little concerned. But here's what we have to realize. God makes all happen. Therefore, God wants us to be in all of him. God wants us not just to know about him in our heads. He wants us to sense him in our souls. God wants us to be aware of his presence. Jesus said this and doesn't want us to miss this. At the end of the Great Commission that Jeff preached last, week, last month, in Matthew 28, verse 20, what did Jesus say? What's the last thing Jesus said after he gave the, the Great Commission? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold, in other words, check this out. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Behold. What? What? What, Jesus? I'm with you. Always. To 
to the end of the age. Now, this is a very interesting point in time for Jesus to say this. Jesus was with his disciples. Jesus was with the church for three and a half years during his incarnation, during his earthly ministry. But this is after his resurrection. This is right before his ascension. He's about to peace out and and be exalted to the right hand of the Father. And he hasn't come back yet. It's been 2,000 years. And so right before Jesus' exit, he says to his church, I will be with you always. Now, come on, let's be real. That's a little bit of a head scratcher. Jesus, what do you mean? You're with us. You're just about to leave us. Well, Jesus prepared his disciples for this moment. And because he prepared his disciples for this moment where he would exit from the earth physically, we're also prepared for this moment. Jesus said in John 14, 16 through 18, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to be leaving. In fact, earlier in that chapter, Jesus says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. But in between the times of his leaving and his returning, he says, I will not leave you alone. I will send you another helper who will be with you. And because he's with you, I will be with you. And what we learn from that text and others like them is that the way we experience the presence of Christ at this moment in redemptive history is through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The way we know Christ is with us now as we await his return, is that he's with us through the Holy Spirit. The same apostle writes in 1 John 3, 24, and by this we know, that's a very powerful word, it means to sense, to experience, to feel, and by this we know that he, that's Jesus, abides in us by the Spirit who he has given to us. Here's how we know experience, sense, and feel that Jesus abides with us by the Spirit who he's given to us. Meaning that one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit in the church today is to mediate the presence of Christ. That's why in Romans chapter 8, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. Jesus doesn't want us to be alone. He wants us to know that he's with us to the end of the age. And here's how. He's given us the Holy Spirit. So this, coming back to Acts 2.43, this is where this all is coming from. The church in Acts is experiencing the nearness of Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. They're experiencing the nearness of the ascended Christ through the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit. So that's what's true for us right now as we continue to wait for Jesus to return. The way we experience the nearness of Jesus right now is through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what's the point? It may seem obvious, but I'm going to really push it in. 
Church, Jesus is with us right now. Jesus is not just with us in the sense that our other loved ones who have departed are with us. They're with us in our memories. And that is true to a certain degree. But it's more than that. Jesus is not just with us in our memories of him. Jesus is with us in actuality through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we gather together as the church and we have the opportunity and the privilege to experience the nearness of Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. What's that mean? Right now, we are in the presence of Christ. We've been praying in his presence. We've been singing in his presence. Right now, we're receiving instruction from his word in his presence. We give in his presence. We fellowship in his presence. We minister in love to one another in his presence. Church, Jesus is right here with us right now. We are not alone. His promise to the church 2,000 years ago is still true today as we await his glorious return. He will never leave us nor forsake us. When two or three are gathered, he's right here in our midst. Church, Jesus is here. You want to get someone excited as you invite them to our Easter service in a couple weeks? Say this, guess who goes to my church? Jesus. What? Well, I know he's present in all of his churches, but we can say that. Jesus is here. God goes to my church, right? He's with us. Christ is with us. And what's true for us collectively as the church is also true for us individually as disciples. Even though he's especially present with us when we gather together like we are this morning, he's also with us as we scatter. Because each and every one of you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit who is in you continues to mediate the nearness of Jesus wherever you go. Church, you are never, I don't know what you're going through right now. Life is filled with so many ups and downs as we seek to be faithful followers of Jesus in this broken, sin-cursed world. But I got good news for you. You're never alone. Jesus is with you to the end of the age. And so we collectively as the church and we individually as disciples can continue to encounter the nearness of Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when we are aware of that presence, here's what happens. All happens. All happens. All is the effect of Christ on the soul that's aware of his presence. So second question. How do we go deeper in our all of Jesus? To answer that question, we need to see how verses 42 and 43 are related. You say, Ian, it always seems kind of dangerous. I'm, 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 you know, you say, I study the Bible, and I know it's kind of dangerous when you just kind of take one little sentence out of a paragraph and just kind of like park on a sentence. There are other words around it. You're exactly right. That's how we study our Bibles, in context. So where was this all coming from? And, and if, we can, if we can find out how this all was experienced, we can know how we can pursue it. Back up to verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul. Here's the connection. As the church pursued these, these what are called ordinary means of grace, as the church experienced its liturgy together, it was there in the midst of pursuing Christ through these means that they encountered his presence and were filled with awe. As the church pursued the teaching of the apostles, as they pursued fellowship by gathering in person in large groups at the temple and in smaller groups in their homes, as they pursued the breaking of bread in the Lord's Supper, as they pursued God in humble, dependent prayer, it was by pursuing Christ through these ordinary means that all came upon every soul. In other words, the word, fellowship, sacrament, and prayer were the means by which the church experienced the presence of Christ. And subsequently, they were filled with an ever-deepening awe and wonder that he was right there with them. So as the, as the Bible was preached, they experienced the nearness of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. As they fellowship together, ministering to one another in love and mutual care, they experience the nearness of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. As they broke the bread and drank the cup, partaking in the Lord's Supper, they experience the nearness of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. As they prayed together, pouring out their hearts to God for provision, protection, guidance, and even miracles, they experienced the nearness of Jesus by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's not it. On the other side of verse 43, they were doing other things as well. They were praising God together with glad and generous hearts. They were experiencing the nearness of Jesus by the presence of the Holy Spirit as they sang and as they celebrated in worship. As they served the neighborhood in word and deed, having favor among all the people, they experienced the nearness of Jesus by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So here's the point for us. If we're going to encounter more of the presence of Christ, if we're going to know more of the soul awe that was encountered by the church in the book of Acts, it must be pursued. So the way we pursue all in wonder is by pursuing the means through which Christ makes his presence known. The word, fellowship, sacrament, prayer, miracles, praise, charity, evangelism. It's all there in this paragraph. It is when we pursue the ordinary means of grace that we experience an extraordinary sense of God's presence. And it's when we experience God's extraordinary presence through these ordinary means, we are moved to awe and wonder. So, do you want to be filled with awe? Do you want to go deeper in your awareness of Christ's presence and, the, and deep, deep, deeper in your awareness of how amazing Christ is? Do you, want, do you want your heart to expand in, in comprehending the height and the depth and the width and the length of the love of Christ? Do you want to know more of Christ, encounter more of Christ, experience more of Christ? Then this is how you must pursue him. And pursue him not just at your whim, 
but pursue him through the means that he has made himself available. If you want to experience the presence of Christ, you must seek him in his word, church. And when you go after Christ in his word, the Holy Spirit will meet you there. You must, if you want to experience the presence of Christ, you must seek him in prayer. And when calling out to God in Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit will meet you there. I love this quote from Tim Keller in his book on prayer. He says, prayer is continuing a conversation that God started through his word and grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. You want to encounter him? Pick up the conversation that he started in his word. You're like, I, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to talk to God about. He, he's, he's already started the conversation. His spirit's already within you. Continue the conversation. You want to know more of God's presence? You want to experience his nearness? Listen to him and talk to him, the word and prayer. If you want to experience the presence of Christ, you must seek him in fellowship with other disciples. When we start getting together and we experience the mercy and love of Christian community, the mutual care and the, the, the exchange of the gifts of the Spirit, it's there that we not only meet each other, it's there we meet Christ. It's around our dining room tables and, and in this space. And, and when we get together, not just formally but informally, it's in those spaces and places that we're not just encountering one another, we there encounter Christ. If you want to experience the presence of Christ, you must seek him in praise. You say, you don't understand. I love listening to Matt sing. But I don't have a voice like that. So I just kind of like, I just listen. No, don't just listen. Did you hear the call to worship? That call to worship was for me. It's for you. Psalm 100 verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Okay? You know, the people up here on the platform, they make melody. I make noise. Okay? Join me in making noises that bring praise and, and, and honor to God. He's worthy of it. I often tell guys in the sound booth, listen, uh, you know, sound guys, you make mistakes. I make mistakes. We all make mistakes. But here's one mistake I'll never forgive you of. If you turn my mic on while I'm singing, that's my resignation day, okay? Because I don't think I could face another person after that experience. When we come into his presence with singing, I mean, that was part of the call to worship too. Come into his presence with singing. We're not here to impress one another. We're here to celebrate Jesus. And as we're celebrating him with glad and generous hearts, generous praise is what the context is talking about. Giving him as, as much praise as we possibly can give him. It's there in the midst of praising him that God dwells among the praises of his people. If you want to know more of Christ then, and you want to experience more of Christ's presence, then, then go out into the community and represent him. Go share the gospel. Go show, show acts of love and mercy and charity in his name and you'll be surprised that there in those moments of representing Jesus, that you encounter Jesus. And so do others who come to know him 
and are added to the church. We will go deeper in our all of Jesus as we pursue him through the means where he promises to make his presence known. We go deeper in all as we go deeper in our pursuit. So last question, what keeps us from being in awe of God? I think you can answer this one. Lack of pursuit. Lack of pursuit. You won't experience all in wonder if you don't pursue Christ's presence with the church. You won't experience all in wonder if you don't pursue Christ's presence on your own. Whether in public or in private, if we're going to know more of Christ, then we must pursue more of Christ through the means he makes himself available. And you won't experience Christ's presence if you don't pursue the means. If you don't gather with the church regularly, don't expect to sense Christ's presence regularly. If you don't pursue Christ in the word much, don't expect to experience Christ much. If you, don't expect, if you don't pursue Christ in prayer much, don't expect to experience Christ much. If you, don't ex, if you don't pursue Christ's presence through biblical fellowship much, don't expect to experience Christ much. And on down the line through all the means. One of the reasons why we don't encounter him, one of the reasons why we don't sense the nearness of God in our soul is because we don't go after him through the means that he has made himself available. Several Christmases ago, I got an amazing Christmas gift from a friend, a friend who knew that I was a big-time coffee connoisseur. Oh, let's just say I'm addicted to caffeine. Okay, all right, and so he got me this, this what, what in and of itself seemed like a great gift. It was a really sharp silver um, travel mug, and I love travel mugs, and the reason why I like getting them from people is because I always lose them, so here's another one, right? But when I opened up the top of the, of the mug, there was, a, there was a card inside the mug. And I pulled out the card from the mug, and it said that this special mug was eligible for a free refill of an espresso drink from Starbucks every day in the month of January. So that was amazing. Caramel macchiatos every day. Great for my happiness, not good for my waistline, Okay. But, but here's the deal. I mean, I remember going and, and watching them fill it up. I'm like, this is amazing. Going back again, and it's amazing. But then a couple days went by, and I didn't get caramel macchiatos served to me in bed. The mug was there, but I wasn't enjoying it. Why? Because I, I, I had to get the mug. I had to go to Starbucks, and I had to have it filled up. You see, it's one thing to have access to the drink. It's another thing to actually experience the drink. I had to take the privilege and go cash in on it, take advantage of it. And it's the same way with the presence of Christ. God makes himself available to us, not because we deserve it, but on the merits of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus says, I've opened the way. The curtain has been torn. The sins that would keep you out have been washed away. You can come into my presence with joy. You can come into my presence with your burdens. You can pursue me with all your heart, and you will find me. But you've got to come. You've got to come. You gotta draw near to the throne of grace and find Christ. 
to give us the mercy and grace he's promised in time of need. It's one thing to have this privilege. It's another thing to experience it. We must go after Christ. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, said the following. The presence and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. There can be one without the other. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it. He is manifest only when and as we are aware of his presence. On our part, there must be surrender to the Spirit of God for his work is to show us the Father and the Son. If we cooperate with him in loving obedience, God will manifest himself to us. He's here. Christ is with us. Where can I go from your presence? The psalmist said in Psalm 139, we can't. But it's one thing for him to be present and for us to encounter his presence. And here's the difference. Cooperation. We must go after him. We must pursue him. So how do we cooperate with him in loving obedience? We pursue Christ through the word, through prayer, through sacrament, through fellowship, through praise with the church. Church, as we go deeper in our pursuit of Christ, we will go deeper in our all of Christ. Church, let's go after Christ together. Let's pursue him. And when we do church, we will find him. And when we find him, all will be the result. Amen? Let's pray.